Welcome to Author Conversations, presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster. War and cartoons may not sound like they'd go together, but author Tim Carroll will be joining me to tell us about a cartoonist in Akron, Ohio, whose cartoons offer an interesting view both before and during World War II. The cartoon are the subjects of Tim's upcoming book, World War II Cartoons of Akron's Web Brown, which will be available beginning April 20th, 2020. Akron Beacon Journal cartoonist Webb Brown was one of the best political cartoonists in America during World War II. After serving in the Spanish-American War, Brown returned to the States and began a 46-year career lasting from 1899 through 1945. Before and during the Second World War, Brown's cartoons lampooned Hitler, Mussolini, and Japan with a strong sense of justice, humor, and history. Featured six days a week in the journal, his work boosted morale at home and lifted the spirits of soldiers overseas. Compiling more than 200 of Brown's best cartoons, Akron native and author Tim Carroll recalls the history of World War II through the outstanding creations of one of Akron's most prolific and noteworthy artists. Born and raised in Akron, Ohio, Tim Carroll attended Akron Public Schools before obtaining a history degree from the University of Akron. Both of his grandfathers, John M. Carroll and John F. Ward, served in the Pacific during the war. Tim published his first book, World War II Akron, with the History Press in 2019. Tim, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here. All right, and Tim, I know you had two grandfathers that served in World War II. Is that what yeah. got you interested in history and in this war in particular? Uh, to, to some extent. I do have a history degree from the University of Akron, so I was always kind of interested in history, but uh, I kind of gravitated towards World War II history because of my grandfathers uh, and their experience. And my one grandfather that died in 1997 left behind uh hundreds of World War II letters. So I started going through those, and uh, once I put them in chronological order, I read the first one, and he, he signed it 364 more days. Uh, and that's when I realized he was drafted before Pearl Harbor in March wow. 1st, 1941. And, and I didn't know they drafted soldiers before Pearl Harbor, so that really caught my attention. Um, and we were always told uh, he volunteered, uh, so to find out he was drafted was interesting. And my other grandfather, shortly before he died, uh, just uh, I think it was 2012, told me he was also drafted before Pearl Harbor. So, again, that kind of caught my interest. It was something, uh, as you can imagine, the, the attack at Pearl Harbor overshadowed that history. So a lot of people don't know that a million men, ages 21 to 35, were drafted before Pearl Harbor. So that really sparked my interest, and I started writing about that and then got a book deal to write my first book, World War II Akron, uh, which ended up leading to the, my second book, the World War II cartoons, because I, I discovered the cartoonists from the Beacon Journal, from the Akron Beacon Journal during that uh, research time period. Were men being act, actively drafted since World War One, or was this kind of in a buildup of the military getting ready for us to enter into World War II? Uh, so the draft uh, during World War One was 21 to 30, and they were in the process of making it 18 to 45 when the war ended abruptly uh, in late 1918. Mm-hmm. In fact, it ended November 11th, 1918 with uh, Armistice Day, which we know now is Veterans Day. They changed it to Veterans Day. Uh, so the draft was suspended and done for that time period. Uh, it was brought back uh, in the summer of 1940 because the Germans had defeated France and were giving Great, Brit- Great Britain a lot of trouble. America was concerned that they were going to have to defend themselves. So they started drafting soldiers. Remember, we were isolationists. So they started mm-hmm. drafting soldiers to build up their defense in case the German threat was going to come to our shores. Uh, they, didn't, they weren't necessarily looking to go on the offensive. For instance, uh, Congress had a ban in place that you could not send drafted soldiers or the National Guard outside of the Western Hemisphere, which basically meant they couldn't be sent to Europe, they couldn't be sent to the Pacific. So we are building up our defenses, but Congress did have a ban in place saying those soldiers could not be sent overseas. 
so yeah, a million men, age 21 to 35, and it started in the summer of 1940. They passed a bill to draft, and this was the first peacetime draft in American history. Uh, so just to show you how it's historic that was. So by the fall of 1940, they began to draft soldiers, and uh, these guys were only required to serve one year, and that's why my grandfather signed his letter only 364 more days, because he was supposed to be released from the Army March 1st, 1942, and then he would be in the reserves for 10 years in case they were needed defense or uh, in case war broke out. Uh, because of Pearl Harbor, he ends up serving until 1945, as does my other grandfather. And they both served about three years, uh, 36 straight months overseas. So a lot of sacrifice for these uh, pre-Pearl Harbor draftees. As not only are they in the Army until 1945, but often they're sent overseas for two to three, sometimes even four years straight. All right. See, okay, so that story you just told me leads me to jump from my next question to to another kind of a story about your what your book inspired for me to do and into another into a, a different question to and we'll have to come back to my second question because it sounds like that leads you led you into a deep dive into history and you know there are cartoons in the book that actually made me do a deep dive into World War II history such as the reunion in Vienna cartoon with a skeleton German yeah. soldier coming out from the curtain doorway and I kind of want to describe for the audience to a shocked woman who represents Austria and the cartoons about the Austrian Civil War, which saw the assassination of the Dolphus, who at the time was essentially a dictator by the Austrian Nazis. And Mussolini would say Hitler planned or ordered the assassination. And I know it sounds like I'm rambling, but it's much more complicated than that, too. And I encourage people to look into it. Um, but the Austrian history after World War One, when the Austrian-Hungarian Empire no longer exists, it's fascinating. And we tend to overlook it now in World War II history. And this cartoon in the book you compiled, and, and I mean this as a compliment, inspired me to take the time to re-familiarize myself with this part of World War II history. And I would later deep dive again into the do another do little bombing mission that sometimes is overlooked, and this is the one over Rome, which is you know the largest bombing mission. Um, when you when you gather these cartoons, did you find yourself doing the same thing, um, kind of like you did with your grandfather's letters? Um, going back to learn or relearn parts of World War II history. Uh, definitely, you find cartoons and you're not 100 percent sure what you know they represent, or you're uh, you you know there's a fascinating piece of history in that cartoon, and you're like, oh, that really happened. You see the cartoon, and it's like, uh, you know, that really happened. It really kind of stunned you. Uh, you know, even you know the draft was as we as we just talked about was fairly interesting. So finding a cartoon where they talk about drafting fathers. Uh, you know, I didn't realize until I did research for my first book that they drafted fathers age 18 to 37 during World War II. So that really gets you. And some of those, uh, th some of those events definitely, um, uh, you know, pique your interest a, a lot. And even the, the Russians, you know, if you look at the, if you look, look through the book, a lot of our, uh, a lot of the cartoons about Stalin and Russia are, uh, for the most part, negative in the 1930s and early yeah. 40s. But once Germany invades Russia, we're, we're allied with Joseph Stalin, who's essentially a dictator just like Hitler. But our our uh, car the cartoons in America and, and in this book become more positive towards Russia, who's now our ally fighting a common enemy. So it's always interesting to see those different aspects because essentially Stalin's going to be a Cold War enemy uh, and going to be involved in the Korean War and whatnot uh, after World War II. So seeing him briefly be uh, seen as a you know a, a positive figure as he's fighting the common enemy is, is fairly interesting. Yeah, and just like and then also you know another part another part of history that you know, I didn't really because everybody knows or if you studied history or I guess really you know nowadays depending on your history teacher, um, it sounds like you and I were lucky to have really good history teachers maybe in school. 
um, who helped yeah. inspire us to learn. I, my father really and my mother really inspired a love for history too for me. But um, you know, of course, you know about the League of Nations, uh, which Woodrow Wilson wanted the United States to join after World War One. But and we did, of course, we didn't. But I didn't know about the World War Court, the World Court leading up into. Um, I didn't know that much about the World Court leading up to World War II, and you know, from your book that you know, with these car- wonderful cartoons you compiled, I you know, it inspired me to also go look into that. So I mean, it's just it's going to take you on so many different deep dives to you know, learn more to understand about these you know awesome cartoons. There's going to be a lot of cartoons you you know do understand too, but. It's really going to broaden your understanding of where the world stage is. And it's not, even though the title of the book is about Akron, Ohio, it's really a world book because it has geopolitical history in this book. Yeah, there's, uh, as you said, yeah, none of the cartoons are about Akron, Ohio. The cartoonist is just from Akron. All yeah. the cartoons are World War II and world history related. So I'm do, I do hope that it uh, sells well throughout America and, and abroad for that uh those purposes, I do think uh, people overseas would be interested in the, uh, in not only the what the message says, but the artwork by the cartoonist is really good. From what I've seen, he's one of the best in the country during the time period. In fact, I originally wanted to call it the best cartoons of World War II, uh, but you know, Arcadian History Press, their local theme, so they they said we got to have Akron in there, so they know the cartoonist is from Akron. Well, let's so talk about the, the title a bit. Let's but, talk about uh, the cartoonist. The, car- actually. the artwork I've seen yeah. is some of the best. What's that? Let's talk about the cartoonist because that was the question I skipped. His name is Webb Brown, and he has a very interesting yeah. story himself. So let's go back to that second question that I skipped over. Tell me about Webb Brown's sure. early life leading up to this time period that we focus on in the book. Sure. Uh, well, Webb Brown was born in the 1870s, and uh, his mother died when he was young, which was not uncommon for uh, kids back then. Raised by his grandparents, his father uh, in and out of his life. And uh, once he actually he joined the army at age 16, uh, somewhat illegally, they just basically the, the guys that uh, uh, ran the local unit basically said, we don't care that you're 16. You look like you're 18. Uh, so he joined the army uh, in the 1890s and ended up fighting in the Spanish-American War. And once he came back from the Spanish-American War, uh, he made cartoons for 46 years. And so really during the World War II time period, he was at the top of his game because he had 30 to 40 some years of experience and his artwork was really uh, fantastic. But his early artwork was really good too. I found articles uh, about him in the early 1900s uh, calling him one of the best cartoonists in the country, one of the best cartoonists in Ohio. At one point he was recruited to go out to Boston to write for one of their major newspapers. And people often compared him to the guys who were making cartoons in Chicago and New York who were making, uh, you know, big money for those, uh, you know, those large papers in those large cities. So he really was fantastic. He came back to Akron because I think, obviously, he enjoyed uh, his hometown uh, uh, and being in Ohio, as uh, some people often do. So he's kind of an overlooked figure a little bit because he his cartoons were not syndicated nationally, but his artwork was really fantastic. And that's uh, what I found uh, looking through some of the best cartoonists in the country. I'm not sure I found one that's better than Webb Brown during the World War II uh, time period. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I mean, I even found myself comparing him to, you know, the propaganda posters that Dr. Seuss himself had done. And it's, uh, Webb Brown's right up there with that. It's incredible. His, yeah. his work's incredible. No yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, uh, Dr. Seuss was uh, definitely, a, obviously, a great, well-known cartoonist, but uh, he made more. He made more of a name for himself in obviously the children book realm. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, but he did get his start in political cartoons, propaganda cartoons, before he went uh, uh, that route. But what Brown was more of a focused on 
uh, political cartoons, and I think was actually better than Dr. Seuss. Though yeah. Dr. Seuss obviously uh, uh, has quite a, uh, you know, has better name recognition, so he's often his work is often sought out. Well, these early chapters they have cartoons where you see the illustrations where the nation is struggling with the question of what to do about the rise of Hitler and and Mussolini, and there was you know a question about that, but also America is coming through this Great Depression where you kind of you know, there is that feeling of we got to worry about, you know, this, this whole, you know, home, home, homey kind of expression of we got to worry about me and mine too, you know? Um, so you have about well, what we're going to do about this rise of Hitler and Mussolini. And I feel like Webb was trying to present the argument um, that the allied nations, you know, have to present a united front in dealing with the rise of Hitler and his disregard for the Treaty of Versailles and the military buildup, which he was not supposed to build up his military but while also understanding the very real fear of going to war again. And with him maybe having fought in the Spanish-American War and having lived through the World War, living through World War One, he seemed to have a pull to both sides. And please correct me if my assumption is wrong, but in um, this one, it seems like the, with the man and his art, it seems to capture the split feelings of the nation, Webb did. Or is he just drawing what he saw on all sides of the issue? Uh, yeah, I mean, he definitely is, you know, America was isolationist uh, throughout the 1930s, and so he's portraying that a bit, but he's also portraying they need to, uh, that the world needs to stand up to Hitler. Um, so he, I think Americans will be surprised how isolationist America was during that time period, even though they start to build up their army in 1940 and whatnot. Uh, they're still fairly isolationist and don't want to uh, be involved in, in the war. Um, so his cartoons do reflect that. They do a good job of... Uh, of telling those feelings. I think people would be surprised by that. You know, I often have people talk to me about the draft and whatnot. And, you know, I, being born in 1982, I've, uh, you know, looked at the Vietnam generation where more protesting was going on. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the world war two generation, you, you could argue did have some protesting because isolationism is certainly uh, an anti-war theme of, you know, we should be looking, uh, to stay out of European affairs, let them handle things themselves. And whatnot. And the Great Depression was a tough time period because, um, for one, Hitler came to power during that time period. So, because of the Great Depression and the German people suffering, uh, he was able to obtain power. And then, of course, other countries uh, like Great Britain and France are weak. They're not spending as much money. And they're also hesitant to get involved in another costly and deadly war. Uh, world War I was expensive, and there were a lot of lives lost in World War I. So, the Allied nations are hesitant to, to hold Hitler to account because they know if they do, it could be it could end up being a, a costly war. Unfortunately for them, um, it didn't work. Their appeasement strategy basically led Hitler to be even bolder. And then, of course, they end up being involved in a deadlier and costlier war by waiting and letting Hitler get too powerful. Yeah. And do you know if Webb faced any blowback for his um, cartoons prior to the entry of uh, the U.S. into World War II? Uh, no. Uh, like I said... Uh, Webb Brown was uh, basically his cartoons were representing the history of the country. So if you see uh, like an isolationist cartoon, America was isolationist as a whole. In fact, the mm-hmm. majority of Americans felt that way. So you wanted to see uh, a lot of blowback from any of his cartoons before Pearl Harbor. Um, there might have been a few people who were arguing we should get involved in the war or even start fighting Germany before that. But they were more of a minority. And so they, they of course, might have criticized someone like Webb. But for the most part, Webb... Uh, Webb's cartoons were very well, well received in the 1930s and 40s. Okay, well, that's great. I mean, I was just thinking about, you know, in today's environment, it might have been, you know, different. So it was good to 
it's good to know that. I was something I was curious about as I was reading uh, and looking at the cartoons in the book. Uh, before the United States is drawn to the war, there's a great deal that happens in Europe and concerning Japan and the East as Webb as well. Uh, Webb Brown documents these events leading up into our entry. And again, you can find gems to learn more about the war in these images. And I keep driving that home because I want, because it's just, like I said, a worldwide book. And you've mentioned that too. It goes so far beyond Akron because Akron's not mentioned in it, as you said earlier. But some of uh, my, and I hate to use the word favorite when talking about war, but they are so telling our images where, where the world itself is a character. He has the yeah. world as, as a person. Uh, so he's writing for a city's paper, Akron paper, but he just grasps the reality of the decisions our representatives make and that we make as a citizenry so well. And he has a way with powerful imagery. So when he yeah, was alive... Yeah, his artwork is fantastic, yeah. and his, his, his cartoons are, are great. I yeah. mean, I, uh, I looked through all of his cartoons from 1929 to 1945, and I loved every second of it. I spent months doing it. So uh, I think people really enjoyed this book, and... That's what I'm excited about. Hopefully people enjoyed looking for the cartoons as much as I did. I couldn't wait to see what he had drawn next and what was coming. And just like any book, you know, you know, historic events, you know, Pearl Harbor's coming, you know, D-Day's coming, you know, the surrender of Germany and Japan's coming. So you're curious to see what his artwork's going to look like then or what he's drawn uh, during that time period. And he really, yeah, he had some great stuff. Well, my Uh, question is, though, did Webb realize the impact he had as a cartoonist while he was still working and while he was alive? Uh, I think he did. It, it, it's really tough to say. You know, when he retired, the Beacon Journal said, you know, uh, his artwork was outstanding and he allowed us to have a top notch editorial page, which they were known for a good editorial page. Uh, because they even said, you know, if uh, somebody goes to the editorial page, they often don't want to read the whole thing or they don't even have time to read it at all. But they can look at Webb's cartoon and grasp the concept of somebody of what they're writing about. Uh, so I do think he uh, he knew how important his cartoons were. Um, again, since he wasn't nationally renowned, he wasn't syndicated. I'm not sure if he knew um, how well his cartoons could do outside of uh, uh, Ohio. But I think, uh, you know, do, do, doing research on Webb, he, he left behind a, some handwritten autobiographies and a couple libraries here, mm. uh, as well as some other documents about himself. So he seemed to realize that his artwork was good enough and what he did in his life was good enough that somewhere down the road, Somebody's going to come looking and uh, want to do re- someone like me is going to come and want to do research and write a book about him. So I'm I'm kind of honored that I was able to do it. Uh, this is kind of a one of a kind book because if you look online, nobody's really done a World War II book like this. And I, and I think I'm uh, I'm right about this. I don't think anybody's published this many World War tar- World War II cartoons in one book before. So I think people will hopefully be excited to uh, read it and, and and see the artwork. Yeah, I and mean, one of the you know, one of the more striking things too is the Waking the Giant chapter when because we don't have the draft anymore. And you talked earlier about your both your grandfathers being drafted before the war started. Um, but we one of the images that stuck out of my mind was the cartoon that Webb did where there was the young man who was graduating high school and he's getting the diploma with one hand and being handed a rifle with the other hand. And you know you don't see that anymore. You still have people at a young age obviously going into the service. But, you know, not with that draft. I mean, that's the, you know, another image that just drives home that, you know, war is fully in effect now. Um, yeah, you're, you're right. It was a powerful cartoon. Uh, it's it's one, of, one of his best ones, in my opinion. Like you said, the, you know, you have a boy in a cap and gown getting a diploma one hand, a rifle with a bayonet in another hand. And at the top of the cartoon, it says graduation day. And that's really what they faced is uh, 62% of soldiers were drafted during World War II. So 
you know, once you were graduating high school and you were of fighting age, uh, you really didn't have much of a choice. I mean, if you, if you didn't want to volunteer, or didn't want to go overseas, uh, didn't want to get shot at, uh, it didn't matter. They were, you know, it was an all hands on deck war and you were going to be drafted and have to serve your country. So it really a tremendous sacrifice because it, it's a heck of a thing having to go away from your family, whether you're stateside or you get sent overseas for a year or multiple years. It, it's a, a crazy amount of sacrifice for uh, these individuals. Yeah. And, you know, you brought the Soviets earlier and how all of a sudden when we got into war, we were on the side and Stalin was on our side, even though he was a dictator, too. He kind of became a we kind of became a homer for him because he was on our team. Um, Yeah. But I feel like a lot of times we forget the Soviet story in World War Two and how we really couldn't have won the war without him in a way, because, I mean, that Eastern Front was important. And uh, they really did pull their weight there. Did Americans know more about the Soviet Union's involvement during World War II and what their civilians even were going through? And I'm thinking about like the siege of Leningrad and uh, you know the hor- horrible things that happened to the civilians during that time period um, with yeah. the loss of life by civilian and military. Um, did do you know? If, I mean, just kind of a conversation, I guess, for making assumptions about. It, do you, um, and through the cartoons and everything, it seems like maybe it was the case that Americans at the time knew the sacrifices the Soviet citizenry even was making during World War II. Oh uh, yeah, that's one thing I think you'll be. Su- I, yeah, I think uh, people will be surprised about the book. Is uh, you can tell from the cartoons is that America did know uh, a lot, a lot of what was going on during World War II as a whole. They knew some of the atrocities the Germans were uh, committing. They certainly found out more stuff about World War II uh, after World War II, but I often assume they found out certain things, you know, post-World War II uh, in 1945, 46, 47. But uh, they knew a lot of what was going on. They knew the sacrifice of the Russian army during that time period. They knew they were on the verge of defeat at, at some time, at some point. You know, the Battle of Stalingrad was vicious. Uh, so they did have actually fairly accurate information on what was uh uh, going on during the time period, uh, which I think will surprise a lot of people. Because if you grow up learning this history, sometimes you think we uh, America looked back and, and they learned more about Russia, more about the Holocaust and these atrocities uh, after the war, which they did to some extent. But they actually knew a lot more than you would realize uh, during that time period. And Webb's cartoons will help you realize that because he's writing, he's making those cartoons in real time. So you'll be surprised. Oh, they knew that was going on in 1944. They knew that was going on in 1945. Uh, and, and they often did. Uh, the, the journalists back then did a fantastic job. It was really the golden age of journalism. So they really did a great job of uh, uh, of tracking the news, even though it was still a time where, for instance, uh, if you're notified your loved one was killed in action and you're notified by telegram. So it was a time where Americans were still receiving telegrams about uh, daily daily things and, and whatnot. You know, uh, we didn't have computers. We didn't have very fast moving information. But we still managed to get some very good news sources and learn what was going on about the war in relatively uh, a quick amount of time. Yeah. And as the war is winding down, um, or when it does wind down, you know, one of the things that stuck with me is you said he wondered if there was ever be an Armistice Day again. And now that is known as um, Veterans Day. Which was kind of a sad statement, but it is a true statement. But he does retire, and he does live until 1974, but uh, I believe you said with the end of World War II, his war was over, too. Um, but he lives until the age of 98. What did Webb do in retirement? Uh, so uh, Webb was kind of an outdoorsman. He enjoyed uh, fishing especially. I think he did a bit of hunting, too. And he also stayed active. Uh, he uh, uh, did a lot of uh, painting. So he would donate some of his paintings to um, 
like I think he donated one to a local firehouse. Uh, a local wow. library has a couple of his uh, paintings. And uh, I found a painting of his that I think he did when he was 96 that was <laughs> a top-notch painting. So, I mean, right up to his death, he was pretty much doing artwork, living his life, still smoking cigars. Um, so he was a pretty interesting character. But, yeah, he stayed fairly active and I think enjoyed his re- retirement. He He had three wives, and that's mainly because his first and second wife died. And uh, I found articles where he said he just didn't like to be alone. So when he became single, he usually uh, tried to meet somebody. And if he met somebody, he uh, would eventually uh, end up marrying them. So his third wife did out, out, outlive him. So, But he, uh, uh, a- after he retired, he got married a third time. Wow. He lived an incredible, uh, incredible life. He seems to have had quite an impact on Akron. And his book and his artwork had an impact on me. And I uh, appreciate you putting his artwork together in this book for us. Yeah, I was happy to. I'm hoping the book does well. And like I said, his artwork was some of the best in the country. So I think uh, people are going to enjoy the book. All right. Well, Tim, thanks for talking to me today. Yeah, I appreciate it. And thanks to you, the audience, for listening. Remember, you can pre-order this title at ArcadiaPublishing.com, and it will be available beginning April 20th wherever local books are sold. And while you're at ArcadiaPublishing.com, enter in your zip code in the search bar to see what books Arcadia Publishing and the History Press has on your town. If you have an idea for a book and want to tell your local history story, reach out to Arcadia by visiting ArcadiaPublishing.com. Scroll on down to the bottom of the page and click the Make Me an Author link. It's the first step in writing your own history book and telling the history of your town, state, or region. If you have any questions for me or episode suggestions, shoot me an email at ArcadiaAuthorConversations at gmail.com. As always, I want to thank my pals Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project for the show's theme song. Remember, you can visit them on Facebook at Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project. I'll talk to you soon.